0: Greetings and salutations. It's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon with you to close out uh, the week, Mr. Shannon. Uh, uh, game seven for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Here we go again, huh?
1: <laughs> game seven, just like you know, last year against Montreal in that uh, Canadian division. They, game six goes to overtime. The Leafs have a chance to close out the series, and can't. And last night in Tampa, the Leafs have a chance to close out the series in Game six.
0: And can't. And can't. Fell yeah. behind 2-0, get ahead 3-2, yeah up a goal, and uh, they had one power play in the whole game. Referees put the pit, the uh, whistles away. I mean, you expect that sort of an overtime, but even during the game.
1: It was a hell of a game, Bob.
0: It really was. It yeah, really no, was. It, and,
1: and, you know, the, the one thing is, and, and we talked about it uh, yesterday, uh, that, uh, you know, we're waiting for the Tampa Bay Stanley Cup champions to show up. You know, they haven't really delivered very much. Well, I'll tell you what, third period and in overtime, particularly in overtime, Andre Vasilevsky. I mean, he made nine saves in overtime. Five of them were very good chances for the Maple Leafs to win the game. Uh, and then look who scored the winning goal. Braden Point, a guy who's has been clutch for this team for the last two Stanley Cup runs. Uh, and he's uh, he made the difference so well, it's, uh, right
0: place right time you yeah know, yeah, yeah.
1: And, well but I mean 20 seconds before Bob at the other end of the ice, Austin Matthews has a good scoring chance can't capitalize
0: yeah tips it wide yeah uh, I know you've been raving um on this show and elsewhere about uh, headman.
1: I've got a secret Dakota ring I've got the, I got the I got the fan club I got I, I got I everything it. going you know I' got and the I'm not and here the hat.
0: I'm not here to argue with you. You know, I, I, I assume you think he's the best defenseman in the NHL, and he might very well be. Yeah. But let me tell you, um, Morgan Riley played as good a game as you can play um, and looked as fresh in the overtime as he did during the, the, um, the regulation time. I, I just, you know, I try and watch a different player every night, and yeah. boy, Riley just makes the right decision and the right play all the time. The interesting thing about
1: that, Bob, to me is is that uh, I I think Riley's probably been the most consistent player for the Maple Leafs the whole series. Uh, He has, and, you know, this is a team that, you know, you always say they need more playoff experience. This to me is showing that Riley can get to another level. Uh, You know, I mean, he's going to be here for a long time, signed a new long term deal. And I, I think that this is, I, I think now you got a management and coaching staff that's salivating to have Riley back to play the game because I agree with you. I think he's been very good, not afraid to get into the offensive zone, not not afraid to use his skill there, and still be strong defensively. I think he's been very good this series.
0: Well, um, whether we have time to talk about the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs' future in the playoffs remains to be seen, <laughs> because between now and the next time we talk to everybody, um, this series will be over.
1: Well yeah but it, 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 it'll mean that we only have about five months of <laughs> well yeah five months either five months to to break it all down one more time or about a day and a half to prepare for by the way, they won't play Quick. the Bruins in the next round. it's not going to be if Boston wins, it won't be the Bruins. It'll be the winner of Florida versus Washington
0: across that bridge when we get to it. okay uh Dale Talon's going to of Florida. Yeah, next, Uh, our pal and um, guy who knows about building hockey teams. And maybe we'll get a chance to build another one. He'll join us when we come back after these messages. McCown and Shannon, back with you. Now, there will be uh, many that will assume that with uh, Dale Talon being our guest, who needs no introduction, of course, so I won't give him one, that the topic of conversation, of course, will be hockey in the midst of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, (laughs) but... Talon, <laughs> shannon while while we were waiting for you to come on shannon was bragging oh yeah about Absolutely. beating you in some golf event sure uh when he sure. was what 12 years well, old? well i was
1: 12 you know and dale yeah what you were you were canadian junior champion right
2: yes you uh, and and 1969
1: and, yeah so there was i'm 12 years old and um and at my golf course, Cherry Grove Golf and Country Club in Oliver, British Columbia, and it was cr- every golf course across the country. The Canadian, the Canadian uh, PGA, ran a beat the champ contest, and you'd put okay. five bucks in, and it was either you beat your score. I think that you played with that day was seventy-one, and then and the, it was also Jimmy Nelford, and no, Nelf- because okay, Nelford was well, the professional. Okay. That's right. So. And so I put my five bucks in and, you know, at, at 12, I, sh- I shot uh, an 82. And because wow. I was a 12 handicap, I shot 70. So I beat Dale Talon and Jim Nelford that day. I think that was, I think that's quite an accomplishment.
2: I think the biggest accomplishment was getting five bucks out of your pocket. Well,
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you no, know, I think I borrowed it from my dad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> can I, can I ask a question here, Shannon? Were yeah. there any, were there any witnesses oh. to this alleged 82? absolutely absolutely i was a good golfer when i was a kid Well, uh,
2: what happened well, 82 is not that good
1: oh <laughs> thanks pal <laughs> when you're 12
0: yeah that's not bad
1: yeah okay thanks well
2: I, what he,
0: what he didn't a... say what he didn't say talent is uh was the course what he, he did on
1: the back nine or what yeah no the course yeah.
0: he played um uh, he only had to use his putter oh yeah and <laughs> and through the and through the and there was no nose. real grass on it
2: through you know, the probably nose, right? sand greens right
0: <laughs> now
1: dale i grew up in one of i had two golf courses in my in my hometown one of them did have sand
2: greens yeah well you know that's the way it goes up there. the one somewhere.
1: in ruan naranda Ru- 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 had sand greens too i bet when you started
2: no the Mines had that one of the best nine hole courses in the country par 37 four par fives it was a great golf course great place to learn that's uh yes. that was uh, one of the benefits of uh, doing well in school uh, and who did that? <laughs> <laughs> the girl in front of me, Christina Keon. <laughs> David's sister. <laughs> Dave's sister.
1: <laughs> hey, now, so when you were, so that brings up, when you were a kid, was Ke, like, Keon was the legend?
2: Yeah, well, Keon, Pitt Martin, Jacques LaPierre, uh, Keon LaPierre, you know, and then right. Pitt Martin, obviously, Kent Douglas. We had a lot of guys that came out of there. The minor league program was so good. Um, you know, they had great volunteers and, uh, two ranks to play and one in Rouen, one in Miranda, two really good ranks. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of good players come out of there, but yeah, David Keon and Jacques Le were, were the two big names.
0: Now, I, I mean, I don't want to change the topic necessarily, but did you consider the possibility of being a golfer, a pro golfer rather than being a pro hockey player?
2: I did. Uh, when I, the first contract that Vancouver offered me, I thought, yes, definitely, I'm going <laughs> to play golf if they're going to pay me this to play hockey. I had won the junior in Kelowna, British Columbia in 69, and I had drafted in 70. And, uh, you know, I, I thought about it, but I certainly wasn't going to go that route. But it was a, a good bargaining chip for me at that time. But, you know, you could always uh, go play golf, but you couldn't do the reversal. And, you know, my passion was hockey. and uh, you know, I, I was, I didn't know if I was good enough or not, but I, you know, I was okay at it. And, uh, you know, Dave Barr and Danny Hallerson went on and had good careers and I was in their age bracket and played a lot of golf against them and with them. And Gar Hamilton was a really good player. We had a group of guys in Ontario, Wayne McDonald, Gar Hamilton, uh, down the list, you know, Kenny Trowbridge, we traveled and played all over the country, played a lot of amateur golf tournaments and, and competitive tournaments. And, uh, we qualified for a lot of events and we competed hard in in, in all of those events but no hockey was always going to be the the way to go and it it worked out great
0: well and i just wonder because at that point if you you know and we ta- i was talking about the possibility of you know getting your PGA card mm-hmm. turning pro as a as a golfer but i'm going to guess that at around that <clears throat> point in your in your life in the late 60s early 70s Top prize money at a PGA tour event was maybe two hundred thousand, maybe no, two fifty. Not that much. On
2: nineteen seventy, <laughs> I think there was one guy, the leading money winner made a hundred thousand dollars in yeah. nineteen seventy, I think. Is that right? Uh, when I look back on it, so you know, I mean oh I, I signed a pretty nice contract in Vancouver after I threatened to go play golf, but you know, you had the top guy was making a hundred grand wow in nineteen seventy. And you had, wow, so it wasn't a, a non-exempt tour. You had to qualify every, on Mondays, you know, there were only 60 guys that were exempt for the next week in uh, top 60 money winners. Now it's 125. Uh, but you had to qualify on Monday with all the rabbits. I qualified for the Canadian Open in 1970 at Sunningdale when the tournament was at London Hunt. And huh. uh, I, um, I was working at the Bobby Orr, Mike Walton Hockey School, and they wouldn't give me time off. And I had to drive back after I qualified on Monday for two days. And then first hole at London Hunt, I made nine. And the Canadian <laughs> open. I was so nervous I couldn't put the ball on the tee. No and, my, kidding. and my good buddy, Jimmy Pappen, who was with the Leafs, was caddying for me. And he told me not to hit it in the bunker because he didn't want to split his pants raking, bending over to pick up the rake. You know? so <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my locker was right next to Sam Snead. Imagine, I was 18 years old. It was like Sam Snead's locker it was right beside me. And I think he shot 68 or 7 the first day. And he was miserable that day. And then he shot 84. I think he was more miserable the second day. <laughs> I,
1: I saw Sam Sneed play once, and I would swear he never got the ball off the ground more than 20 feet. I mean, he like he 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 just, it was like a rifle. He would shoot it, but it wasn't it didn't go very high like Nicholas or all those other guys, did it? <laughs>
2: I don't know, I never really saw him play, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah. he was a great player for a long time.:
0: Oof. Well, still tied, I think, with Tiger for most yeah. 84? Tour wins. 82, I think, 82, I think, I think yeah. it is. yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Huh.
2: but some of his tournaments were one-day events. They weren't 72 old.: I'll player. give you that. Yeah,
0: I'll give you that. And he played till he was in his 60s on the regular tour, too, right, which is right. unheard of, you mm-hmm. know, and was relatively competitive. Thanks.
2: But I was really lucky as a kid. i beat friend Al Baldy and Marklin Woods, where I'm still a lifetime honorary member. Uh, George Newson, I played with Ju- George at the National. You know, you Stan do. Leonard, I got to know when I was in Vancouver. I played with Stan a lot at, at Campolano, and I'm still a member at Point Grey. So golf is a big part of my life. I mean, I've really been very fortunate to have the best of both worlds really
1: so actually when you were 50 did you think it maybe trying the seniors tour or is that was that real yeah I
2: did. well you know i was broadcasting at the time i think and uh well you definitely uh, weren't I, working I, then so I, I was a pga member i ran a club a few clubs in chicago and i tried you know but it um if you're not going to dedicate a full year or years to it you know right. part-time doesn't work those guys are really good and i was had, you know i had a young family and uh, I was broadcasting, I was running a golf club. I was playing some of the celebrity tours, so I was making a nice living and, but I wasn't really dedicated, you know, you have to take a year or four years or whatever it is, year to year and do it full time. And I wasn't able to make that commitment.
0: You still play, correct? Regularly? Yes, I
2: do. I love it. I mean, I can't get enough of it.
1: Yeah.
0: How many games a week would you play? How many rounds? I only a week?
2: play three times a week. Yeah. But I practice a lot. I like to practice. Well, do you? Where before I hated to practice and love to play. And now I like to practice and don't like to play that much. <laughs>
0: well, when I think of practice, you said you played with George at, um, at the national and I played with him a fair <laughs> bit and uh, among the rounds we played was the national. And I don't know if it was the first round I ever played at the national, but it was one of them. And, um, um, I mean, the thing about George was he'd be happy to go to the range and hit balls and just strike balls you know, yeah. right down the middle. But the putting green was playing. foreign territory to him. Not the least bit interested in practicing his putting.
2: Oh, he hated putting. He hated it. I used to ask him if he had, if he used brass balls, cause his putter blade never went past the ball.
0: <laughs> he said, you
2: gotta get some of those lighter golf balls. So your putter would go past, but he hated putting. So did Hogan. He emulated Hogan so much that Hogan would watch him practice because he did everything that Hogan did. And, uh, you know, I, I remember playing. On the 18th hole at the National, you know, they had the 150 posts in the middle of the fairway yeah. and the water on the right and the bunker on the left. He aimed between the 150 posts and the water, whereas we were just hoping we'd find land somewhere, you know, <laughs> and he did it there every time. And, uh, he'd always say total commitment, son, total commitment. And he hit it there like, like clockwork, straight as an arrow, right where he aimed it, and, you know, that relieved a lot
0: of stress. Now, I'm, I'm guessing you played with Mo Norman too, did you?
2: Yeah, I did play with Mo in the final round of the Manitoba Open at the Aqua and I played now, the Canadian tour.
0: Now he was, he was a different sort of guy, but, um, um, an outrageously great ball striker. And so was Knudsen. Right. If you had different to, styles, totally, totally. Right. Yeah. But if you put three balls down uh, and, uh, and let, let them each hit three balls into the green, who do you think could get it closest to the hole? Who is the better ball striker is what I'm actually really trying to say in your opinion. That's
2: so tough, you know. I mean, I, It is, isn't it? I, I, yeah, really. That's a great question. I've always thought about this. And, you know, it's uh, it would be tough to differentiate the two uh, as far as the accuracy and how close to the hole they'd hit it. Um, you know, I, George would hit everything straight as well. They both didn't work the ball left to right or right to left. It was dead straight. And they had unique ways of doing it. You know, George had a closed stance, open shoulder and finished flat on his left foot facing the target. And, you know, and we all know Mo had his club 12 inches behind the ball and, uh, you know, one hinge and um, hit it straight up in the air. Mo would hit judge distance by height, not by length. You know, you always said, how high do I have to hit this? And, uh, but that'd be really close. I I don't think that I could separate the two.
0: Well, and they used to compare... They certainly compared George to Hogan, yeah. who was acknowledged as the best ball striker in, in the world at the time. I, I didn't get the chance, the opportunity to see Hogan play at all or hit balls or anything. No. But um, the one thing you, you will acknowledge too, uh, and I've seen it happen, I'm sure John has too, when Mo went to a, a PGA Tour event, oh. like the Canadian Open, and he and even if he wasn't playing, he'd just drop in. And I remember yeah. there was a day at Glen Abbey, where Mo just w- walked out onto the range and started hitting balls. Wasn't playing in the tournament. Shouldn't have been there. Just started hitting balls. And one by one, every every one of the PGA Tour players came over to watch him hit balls. That was his reputation of yeah. what a great ball striker he was. I, I
2: saw a picture of a bunch of... Nick Faldo was in the group, you know, watching him. And it was like Glenn Am, exactly what you said. He was hitting yeah. balls. And they all came, all the top players in the world surrounded him and watched him hit balls. They were in awe of him. How he I, how he could do it.
1: I, I, I did think the I did the Canadian example, Open. For th-
2: it swing is what Moe's was, except with a lot more power. The same kind of same yeah. kind of movement. Yeah. One
1: I did, I, I, did a, I did the Canadian Open for four or five years, and, and the guy who used to revel in the Moe stories and love watching Moe was Freddie Couples. Yeah. Just he would he when Moe showed up, he would Freddie Couples would love to sit and talk and then would actually take him to the range every once in a while just to see him hit the ball. He was uh, Moe was a different sort, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, you go to Kitchener Ranger games and you find him there Friday nights at they want to end, you know, watching the games. And I yeah. uh, always made it a point when I was scouting to go look for him. And uh, he was a wonderful human being. He was really a good guy. You know, he really cared about his fellow, fellow golfer and uh, the young guys, especially.
0: And if you ever wanted to know what was important to Moe, just ask <laughs> him to open up his car trunk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause it was somewhere it was in there. Yeah, the stories are legend. Hey,
1: <laughs> yeah. you, you, you talk about scouting, Dale. Um, would that be the one thing you miss about the game? Not yeah, working? I
2: miss that a lot. I like going to those little rinks and seeing the locals and seeing the fans and seeing the kids play. And that—that's was the one I, the thing I enjoyed most about the job was being able to go all over the world. In these remote remote areas, and watch the passion and dedication of these families and these communities for their young players? You know, it's it kind of a thrill, and the scouts are to, to hang around with the scouts. You know, they're the lifeblood of the game. I miss that a lot. That that was that's the part I'm I'm missing.
1: What what has uh, in that world? I mean, we 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 all talk about you know the nutrition the kids are going. The fourteen year olds are playing like pros. What's changed the most in trying to look for a young player?
2: Well, you know, the game of hockey was a poor man's game. It was a way for me to get out of Ruan Miranda or a guy to get out of, you know, a farming community out west. And we wanted to get a job or, uh, you know, get an education, whatever we could do to get out of there. You know, and now it's become a very wealthy to do, you know, rich man's game uh, to play and the equipment and uh, the travel and, so it's a whole different upbringing. The kids that are playing are more uh, worldly. They're more cultured. Uh, they've got more, you know, computers, iPads, and they've got nutritionists, and they've got strength coaches, and they've got all these programs that they're on. Um, Is that a good thing? Comes, it still comes down. Well, it's different. It's just, I don't know if it's – it's just different. You know, it's not the same. So we have to adapt. You know, it's nothing it – if it's right or wrong – but I think it's harder to coach them. It's harder to bench them. It's harder not to play them. The parents get in, you know, their parents are, some of them can't afford it to keep up with some of the other wealthy families, you know, right. and their, their son might be a path for them to get an education or get a career. And the coaches are, it's hard on the coaches, I think, harder on the coaches than it's ever been. You, you've got to be really a good teacher and you have to have a great disposition, the yelling and the screaming and the, you know, uh, uh, all that stuff is gone. You can't get away with that anymore, and, and that's a good thing. You know, uh, that's something that um, I never appreciated anyway, but it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just that's the way it is, and you better adapt.
0: I think everybody knows this, but um, at the risk of empowering some that don't, um, Dale Talon was when he was general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks built a team that ultimately was a dominant force in the National Hockey League and won three Stanley Cups. And then you go to Florida, build another team that is now perhaps on the verge of becoming um, one of those kinds of dominant teams. And your fingerprints were all over that Chicago team and your fingerprints are still all over this Florida team. Well, How do you feel about the fact that you didn't get the opportunity to finish well, the job? it's
2: frustrating, but it's the way it is. You know, it's just the way it is. And uh, it's not just myself. I mean, the, the guys we had in Chicago, Rick Dudley and Mark Bergevin, uh, Mark, Oh, Lee, I get that. You know, the, and the same thing in, in, in Florida. It's You're part of it. No one, Unless you're building an expansion team like Vegas and you can take full credit for building that team, Everyone, they're, they're, every team that has had success has had a sprinkle of different people in the management system. Right. You know, like when Berk, when Anaheim won, well, Brian Murray had something to do with it as well. He had his fingerprints in it. Uh, you know, it, and it's just the way it is. That's the way nature of the beast. You know, and and you expect that. <clears throat> you expect not to have a chance to to continue on when you're not doing well. But when you do well, it's frustrating, you know, but that's the way it is. And the new, you know, new ownerships and uh, they want to win tomorrow and they don't want to wait four five, six years to build a team.
1: I still remember sitting in a press room with you somewhere and you turned and said, John, we got this kid, Duncan Keith's going to be great. Jonathan Taves, we stole him at the draft. And then obviously you got Patrick Kane in another draft. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about, it's 2022. Those guys are still playing. Mm-hmm. They are still factors in the national hockey like That must give you a great deal of pride.
2: I love those guys. I mean, you know, there was a great team, but the, more importantly, there were great people, Duncan, Siebes, and, you know, Buff and uh, Brower and, and the Amerson. You go down to O'Bolin.
1: Yeah,
0: I
2: mean, that, was, that team was the youngest team in the league when they won in 2010. And... uh you know, we got in trouble because we were at the cap. Well, we won. You know, they wanted to win. They hadn't won since 61. We won. And now the problem was we were at the cap. Well, duh, that's what happens. Yeah. Let's let's figure it out, you know. But, but what I'm most impressed about that team is Patrick Sharp. Those guys, all great guys, first class, every one of them. Yeah. There wasn't a jerk on that team, you know. Corey Crawford, he went through that whole team. They're wonderful human beings, and that's yeah. what I'm most
1: proud of. Full disclosure, we better ask you, just because you know, you know how the world works. Uh, you were not around the club when Kyle Beach, the Kyle Beach incident occurred?
2: I drafted Kyle. You know, I'm not I'm not shying away from it. I drafted him uh, because we had a, a, a need for a tough, you know, he scored 50 goals in junior, and he was a hard-nosed kid, and drafted him. So, yeah, I mean, and I hired uh, Aldrich as an assistant video coach out of Notre Dame. I knew his father's reputation, and the, he was an assistant video coach. That's what he was. Yeah, but um, and you
1: know, and you weren't you weren't aware and informed of any of those? No, not until
2: after I was gone in Florida.
1: You know, right? Because you were. I was looking. You you got hired May of two thousand ten. You were in Florida, you were hired yeah. Florida uh, yeah. just as the team was starting that series against San Jose. They
2: won the second game against San Jose. And I got hired, uh, I signed, I uh, and agreed on the on the Monday, that yeah. Monday,
1: yeah.
2: I remember calling Rocky Works on Sunday after they beat San Jose to go up two games to nothing, to tell them that I'm going to take the job with Florida and to thank you. you know I had a three they extended me three years, right, and uh, I could come and go as I p- pleased and uh, you know I had an office if I wanted to and all that stuff and mm-hmm. you know so. I told him that I was accepting the job in Florida, and he asked me um, if there's anything you could do for me. And I said, yeah, make sure I get a ring when, they, when you win the cup, because huh. I knew they were going to win the cup after that.
1: I noticed there's a Stanley Cup over your right shoulder there, so. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's, the, that's the one, 2010. Yeah. yeah. I see yeah. one over your right shoulder. Yeah, I know. I, uh, you
1: can get anything at Canadian Tire these days, Dale. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got a cousin as Canadian Tire store in Toronto, Timmy Tallon. Well, oh, there you go. Yeah, go see him. <laughs> we'll get you another one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what? I was going to say I could get you in there too, but I think you'll be back in the game, so I'm not too worried about that.
0: Dale Talon is with us. so uh, We'll <laughs> continue our conversation after these messages. It's McCown and Shannon with uh, Dale Talon and we're um, telling a few golf stories and sharing some hockey stories with all the guys that you have. And I know, don't say, don't give me Talon the, it takes a, you know, takes a village, right? You were the general manager. Ultimately the responsibility was yours for the selection of, of, of drafts. Mm -hmm. Is there one guy that jumps out at you that you picked that you are proudest of? that maybe other people didn't think you should take. And he turned out to be really good.
2: Well, that's a tough one. I guess, you know, the guy that, stand, the guys that stand out on that team, the, you know, the, the Amerson was a player that, oh, you yeah. know, uh, that guy there was, I mean, you know, we had four, we, we had the killer bees. We had four seconds that one year Everybody's last name started with a B. You know, Bolin, Bolin was champion. You know, that kid, he's a hockey player, David. You know, he, he cut your heart out. He, he was like the young, young version of Stan Mikita, you know, that right. kind of heart and soul and, and toughness and grit. And he shut down a lot of guys to win the cup. And, and he, he was 170 pounds soaking wet. You know, that, that one of my favorite players. He and the were, they were fearless. Right. But I'd say Duncan Keith, seeing his development a couple years in Norfolk and coming up and having a struggle at first, but he and Siebert mm-hmm. together, they're kind of the ideal pairing that you want to build a team around, you know, lefty, righty, speed, stay at home kind of, kind of combination. But that, that was a wonderful team, you know, getting lad at the, uh, Patrick Sharp played great for us after we got him from Philadelphia. That started the process for the, for the Blackhawks. Cause when I took over, we had no speed. We had nothing but toughness, but we weren't a very good team. And starting the process, like I said, you know, the, the game's got to, it's going in a different direction. It's going with speed and, right. and finesse and skill, and we didn't have any. So that was the first, you know, thing that broke, broke open the dam for us was to get more speed in the lineup. What about Florida? Well, I mean, getting, you know, the, the pieces and of bark off, obviously, taking him second when everyone thought we were going to take maybe Seth Jones or, you know, um, but Barkov, I guess, would have to be, uh, and, you know Huberdeau, the two of them. You know, the rookies, Huberdeau's rookie. I can't believe that. First of all, I can't believe Huberdeau wasn't a finalist in the Hart Trophy.
1: Isn't that that's, silly? That,
2: that's Isn't that really silly? Sad for me. Yeah, I mean, the best team in the league, second overall in scoring. I mean, didn't even. You know, I mean, that, that's the way. That's just my feeling. But I think it's because uh, Florida doesn't have representation. In, in, in the press, you know, we have, there's nobody there. There's no coverage, but uh, Huberto had a hell of a year and he's a great person. Again, it's, it, it's about the character and the person themselves. How willing are they to commit and to get better and to improve? I think that's the most important part of it all is the character of so, the player.
1: So, so how do you, how, before, how do you measure that of a 17 and 18 year old?
2: That's the most difficult thing. You know, I mean, now everybody's analytics and this and, that and that. You know, we tried everything. We we I uh, uh, remember Joe Day played in the minors a long time. and Joe yeah. had worked for a company, and he came up with a program called Virtual Coach. We used that to identify flaws and in, in, uh, in a person's character if there were, were any. And uh, we used that, and so you, you you accumulate all the information, the data. You talk to the trainers, you talk to the billets. You know, you you do everything. You investigate. The, your scouts have to do their homework. Not only going to the games, but they have to know everything about them, about their parents, their upbringing. You know, their girlfriends, their you know their cousins. Their, th- there's so much in depth that no one knows or talks about before you get to the combine. You know, that's the most important part, and you got to start that when they're underage, when they're 16, 17. You know, you got to do their do your homework, and it's hard. And then at eighteen, there might be a growth spurt. There might be an emotional disaster with a girlfriend, or yeah. you know, there, there's so many things that can happen from the time they're draft eligible to the time they turn pro. There's it's not an exact science, and I know we're trying. Everybody's trying to have it an exact science with analytics, but it's a combination of the, all of those pieces that get you to hopefully the right right position.
1: Now you were you were a teenager playing in the National Hockey League yourself. Yep. Do you support teenagers playing in the NHL?
2: I, at 19, I was 19 turning 20. Okay. So a bit, if I would have been drafted at 18, I wouldn't have been drafted in the first round probably. <laughs> My numbers didn't show that. I progressively got better and better. My second year, I, I struggled, you know, in, in with the Martins. I went from Oshawa to Toronto. My second year, I would 18th birthday, I was a late birthday, October. The, the, if, if I had been drafted at 18, I would have probably gotten the second round. Or third round you know who knows but the following year i got better and better i was more mature i was physically stronger and more capable of handling it and i went second overall still scouting has improved a lot since then <laughs> <laughs>
1: well no so, but but you, you i i assume then you're answering my question you'd like to I mean that
2: another year would be perfect it'd be yes. it a lot easier i'll tell you that
1: yeah and i guess it just it just, I guess,
2: legally, it just can't happen. You can't stop an 18-year-old from earning a living, you know? Yeah. So, but I'd like to see it go to their last year of junior eligibility and still have the access to go and play college hockey. I think it'd be better for everybody involved. Yeah,
1: and, and that's one of the reasons why this college hockey, uh, uh, the feeding frenzy after the season's over, finding free agents and college kids that are 20 and 21 years old really has become a factor for teams, hasn't it?
2: Well, of course, because we only have seven rounds in the draft now, you know? right? And if you trade first or second to get the player to put you over the hump to win the cup, uh, you got you better be active in the free agent market with your colleges. So you have to have a specialty scout just for that, you know. And so it becomes a, a whole different ball of wax. It's 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 interesting.
0: With Dale Talent. so here's a question I have: if you're dra- if you're at the top of the draft, if you're one, two, maybe even three. Mm -hmm. their sense is that your selection is probably predetermined. In other words, um, 90%, 99% of the other general managers would take the guy that you're going to take. Right. Um, After that, the question then becomes, do I draft for my team's need, or do I draft the guy that I think has the best talent? Did you have a philosophy one way or the other?
2: I always went with the best player and then worked, you know, like today it's not as important as left wing. When we were kids, left wing, center, right wing, left yeah. D, right D. Now it's it's F1, F2, F3. No one plays left wing, right wing, or center. Right. So now for me, it's get the best athlete and train them the way you want. You know, he fits into what you might have. Uh, my philosophy has always been strong up the middle, so I would, always have an opportunity first to draft and make sure we're really strong with goal and then center ice and then left, right D and then add the wings later if I, you know, but, uh, usually the best athlete in the first two rounds and then probably needs, if we've got 12 young defensemen in the system, well, then we might lean to the forward if it's a tie, you know, amongst the, the scouting staff. So it comes down to what your needs are and what your depth chart is and where you're at you know, as far as your future of your process.
0: I've asked this question of more than a few people. And I'm,
1: oh, no, let me, uh, let me get, can I guess?
0: Yeah. What? Goaltending, right? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so talent, you, we all know it, it's, if you don't have, if you don't have a high quality goaltender, you're going nowhere. That's and when you get, and when you get to the Stanley cup playoffs, not only do you have to have one, he has to play his best. If you're going to win a Stanley cup, Right. You can't overcome poor goaltending. Just can't be done. No. So of all the drafts that you <laughs> conducted, how many goaltenders did you take in the first round? One. Just the last one. Spencer Knight. Right.
2: And, he still and he, is, he, he's still not the starter. Well, he, he won 19 games. There's another guy, you know, rookie. What happened with Rookie of the Year? 19 wins for a kid. 20 years old. Wow. It's pretty damn good. He's a good player he's a really good
0: player. So can you he's explain in his mind? Yeah. But you did, you conducted a whole bunch of drafts and, and you waited till like literally your last one that you didn't know was your last one, but oops,
2: maybe. <laughs> was
0: <reason>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know what I mean? Um, so yeah. how come goaltenders are so undervalued in the draft? It's a good question.
2: And they're the most important part of it, you know, I mean, um, uh, I think when you know Patrick was influenced in the Quebec League, there were some really good young goalies taken in the first round. Uh, but I guess it's a matter of what you already have, you know, in your system. But yeah, I, it's the most important position. Yet we're reluctant to even select them in the first round. Um, it's a, I think it's necessary to have at least two, three. You have to have at least three good goalies to get deep into the playoffs, you know, I mean, you have to get there first and then you have mm-hmm. to build on that and you have to, in a compacted schedule. Like I I had no hesitation in taking Spencer Knight because of what I saw all year on, him. he was terrific. And, you know, I had, Louis, I had Luongo look at him. I had, you know, we had lots of different goalies look at him and let people in our staff look at him and the decision was made. Let's go for it.
1: The the interesting thing, goaltenders, and Bob and I have had this argument lots of times, is that the the maturation of a goaltender is different than the maturation of a skater, isn't it?
2: No doubt. So as a defenseman, too, if you want to go that far. But the problem with a goalie, you get a young goalie at 19, and he stands on his head as a rookie. And then the next year, he has a slump. And mentally, he's a mess.
1: Carter Hart in Philadelphia.
2: Carter Hart how, in how Philadelphia happened, you know. Yeah, remember Bowprey? Remember Beaupre's rookie year was outstanding in Minnesota, right? And yeah. then he yeah. had some issues trying to get back, and then he gave, he got it back and had a really good career. But the the mental side of it is the part that really can destroy a young goalie. And then the same thing is true of defensemen.
0: You once said, uh, I believe that you thought a defenseman has to play three hundred games in the National Hockey League before. Yeah they are uh, not know, Unless there are,
2: or, or, you know, uh, Potvin, or, you know, the exceptions are, but except you look at Duncan Keith and, and uh, those guys, you know, it took him two years, two years, two right. years plus in Norfolk in the American Hockey League. And then he worked his way up. And after 300 games in the NHL, he, he was a Norse Trophy candidate. You know, right.
1: there, There's one of your draft, one of your draft picks uh, that, uh is uh, like that right now this year, and that's uh, Mike Matheson in Pittsburgh. You
2: know? it takes time, you know. Mike was an offensive guy in junior in college, or in uh, college junior, especially. Yeah. And he could skate circles around guys and tried things he should never have tried, and had a lot of bad habits. And uh, in uh, in Florida, he he developed. You know, he didn't change those habits for a while, but it, it's taken time, you know. And now he's starting to play really well in Pittsburgh. And that you have to break him down. You have to break him like, you know, it's like a young horse. And you have to break him, and then you have to get him out of his old habits and, and, and train him properly to take advantage of what he has and, and hold him back, pull the reins on him. And then once he gets a little more confident, let him go after that. But you have to learn. You know, it takes time. I, I looked at Matheson as a, a potential Duncan Keith type player because of his feet. You know, he you did, huh? Really? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. But You know, he had similarities. in Right. draft year. You know.
1: big, bigger, he's bigger than Duncan, though. He's much yeah, bigger than yeah. Duncan. And that's the amazing thing about Duncan Keith even today is that he, he's not a very big man.
2: No, but he was a lot smaller when he was in Michigan State. He was yeah. probably 150, wow. 5'7", you know, 5'8", but his feet didn't touch the ground. I never saw anything like it. He could skate all day long. you know. And his VO2 is like uh, Lance Armstrong. He, he could skate. He never gets tired. His VO2 is over 70. Almost 80. You know, it's amazing that and it's proven over the years he never got tired because his recovery ability, his oxygen intake level is so, so great.
0: So, what does a general manager do during the playoffs besides <laughs> watch the game? Oh,
2: he's, <laughs> I was thinking about it the other night, you know, like uh, Florida's done a great job. Zito's come in and done a really good job. And you're, it's two games to one down, you're down 2 1 in sitting in the press box in Washington, you can go down You're three minutes away or two minutes away from going down three games to one. And you've had the best. I mean, how stressful is that? You know, after a great year, you, you fret a lot, <laughs> you know, you sweat, you, you, uh, you know, you get anxious, you get nervous, you get tense. Um, because it is that's, and then they score and then they went in overtime and then they, now they have a lead now. You relax today, but tomorrow is going to be, you know, pins and needles. And uh, there are fires to put out every day. It's amazing. You know, if your farm team's doing well or not doing well now, you've got kids on a sign in college that might threaten to go to free agency. You just do your job. You know, you keep doing it. There's something to do every day, a lot Um, of
1: it. What's your interaction with a coach during the playoffs?
2: Well, I, I luckily, uh, you know, Q, I just I say, let's go over dinner. You know, that's, you know, give me a, give me a horse tip, you know, like, me yeah. I, better. Uh, I mean, it depends on your relationship and what kind of coach and what kind of team you have, you know, yeah. but you're, you're always in communication. I never told the coach ever to play, ever. Never, ever? Never, ever? Never. No. Never. Wow. I coach coaches, I guess, huh? I didn't believe it. I fired the ones that weren't any good. <laughs> the ones that were good, I never told them what to do.
0: So when you got home after a game, stressful or otherwise, playoff or regular season or preseason, even, did you take the game home, or were you able to shut it off?
2: Uh, no, I always took. I could. I I missed a three footer. It takes me four holes to get over it. You know, I'm, I'm that kind of guy. I've been a perfectionist, and and it it bothers me. It eats away at me. It's hard. It's really hard to to leave it. That's a once you learn that. I guess it makes it a lot easier, but I couldn't do it. It was, uh, you know, like when you lose, you never think you're going to win again. And when you win, you never think you're going to lose again. You know, so you, yeah. you get the, uh, you've got to be careful in your heartbeat. You know, it's just, it's stressful if you're taken home.
1: Yeah. I got to ask you about a couple of guys. Um, both I know and I know it, it is and their influences on your life. And the first one's Bill Torrey.
2: Oh, I miss him today, every day. I drive to West Palm to go play. I, 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 my car automatically wants to go to bear lakes and see bill you know,
1: right yeah
2: you know pulleys right there too next door and I, I i one thing i really miss and i would go up to west palm beach and i have lunch with harry and louie and the cat and pulley and bill tory wow and i just sit there and listen you know and then I'd write notes down when I got home. When I And I missed that. I mean, that was such an education. You know, for a guy that never had any experience as a GM, those were, those were like mentors for me and guys that I respected. And, uh, like, you know, they, they were still sharp mentally, and they had a lot of good things to say. Yeah. And I used a lot of their stuff. You know, I'm not afraid to say I took some of their good stuff and <laughs> threw the bad stuff out. But, but memory- Torrey was a first-class gentleman. Memory it, it, serves after me. After I lost my father, Bill was my guy. You know, if I'm an only child, and my dad and I had a great relationship, and Bill took over that relationship. Wow. You know, wow. That's
0: my dad. died.
1: Memory serves me. Tory's house, Pulford's house, and then two houses later were Sinden's house. I think they were all in the same little cul-de-sac, weren't they? Or was, was, yeah,
2: Harry the was over on the fifth hole or something oh, yeah, on the other side oh, yeah. of the <laughs> fence. Oh, okay. But the, you know, Pulley was always in Bill Tory's garage stealing, looking for his golf clubs. Oh.
1: I, I listen when I was at the league, Dale. I'd get a call every week. There was something wrong with Bill's satellite dish. I said, Bill, I'm in charge of television. He's like, Oh, can you fix my satellite dish? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he, he was great. What a, what a gentleman.
1: And, sure. and the other one, the other one is, and I saw you at this last game, and that's Pat Foley.
2: Yeah, he's uh, one of my best friends, you know. And uh, uh, we, we went through a lot together, we had a lot of fun together, and uh, it was great to be able to go back and do that one game. And it was really great to see how he handled himself in the final game of his career there in Chicago. Uh, he's still got it. He's still great, yeah, and he's a most generous human being. He's just a great guy, you know, and um been like a brother to me, and we you know we we still will continue to have lots of laughs
1: i I have to tell you it was and you and I cross paths a lot in the broadcast business i would I would look at you and 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 with what you talked about today and how intense you were and the research you did and scouting players and how you took the game home. I never saw that in the broadcast booth, Dale. You were a different, you had a different attitude in the broadcast
2: booth. I'll tell you my philosophy, John, was way different than what you wanted it to be. (laughs) And here's why. I didn't want, when I watch a game, I want to know why it happened, why the goal was scored or why the play was screwed up. I didn't want to know where in high school the guy went to, how much he weighed, or who is, is it? You know, I didn't want to know that. I, I hate broadcasters that do that. And I know that's what producers like yourself wanted. And mm-hmm. I couldn't, I didn't, well, I got confused by the information. So I wanted to let, and with Pat, Pat had done a lot of games by himself. So yep. with Pat, he would, he would do his play-by-play and then he would volunteer his opinion. So then I learned as we got together as a team, I'd let him say his piece. And then I'd find a different way to explain what happened. And so I felt as an analyst, my job was to describe why the goal was scored, why uh, the play was messed up. And, and, and to me, I, I didn't want a, to burden myself with what lines, give me the lines, give me the lines. Uh, what school did he go to? How many goals did he score in junior? I didn't think that was part of my job description. I thought that my job was to analyze what happened in that play. And that's what I, my philosophy was when I was broadcasting. And have a few laughs. laughs.
1: I like the last part. Um, I
2: hated rehearsing. You know
1: that. Oh, I know that. <laughs> Dale, can we do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I will tell you right now. I, I we there isn't enough why on television right now.
2: Well, you know that was just the way I the way I thought about it because I I, I the more information I gave myself, the more bogged down I felt, and I couldn't free, I wasn't free to be myself. You know, yeah, that's what I felt so. You missed the broadcasting? Did you like it? No, not anymore. No, I I know. I I know the one game with Pat was great. Six and a half minutes. I didn't say a word. And I asked him, I said, How am I doing so far? He said, Good (laughs) thing you're not getting paid by the word. And I said, Well, that was the deal.
0: Now, now, kind of like me working with Shannon. Oh, stop it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, look, before we let you go, I got to ask you this. You're not done, are you? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to be well, back? You know, I'm and, enjoying my life
2: and getting to know my wife. That's nah, not what and, I
0: asked you, Talon.
2: No, I, I would get back if the right situation. Yeah, I want. I'd like to win another cup.
0: Yeah, I
2: would like to build another team. I think I'm I'm good at it, and I think I I hire good people, and uh, I know, I've still got a lot of you know vinegar in me. I'm ready to go if they want. Somebody wants me to help them win. i I'm ready to go.
0: Would you go anywhere? I mean, geographically, yeah, I don't care. you don't, I don't care. care.
2: I don't care. Doesn't matter to me, doesn't matter one bit. I can always come back to Florida. I can always go to Chicago. You know, I, those were my places and that's where I live and life's great, but I'll go wherever. I don't care.
0: Well, I'm for me for one and maybe partly for selfish reasons um because I I always enjoy our chats. Yeah. But but uh I hope you get back. It'll give <laughs> give me many more opportunities to to get in touch and 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 talk, you
2: know, I hope so too. But it is what it is, and I'm happy you either know. way. But I'm I'm like I said, I', I got a lot to offer still, and I'm, I'm willing to do it if if somebody's interested.
1: Well, listen, when you look at what you built in Chicago and what you built in Florida, you I don't know why a, they wouldn't you, be. You don't you don't need a resume anymore, Dale. You just have to look at the two rosters and look at their success
2: rate. Well, you know, like I said, it, it uh, you know I had great people with me. You know, but, but that's
1: how much of that is the, the job too? Well, that's
2: hiring, hiring good people. That right. Is, that's right. That's it, it's, you know, it all comes down to talent. How much talent do you have in the front office? How much talent do you have sure coaching and how much talent do you have in scouting and how much talent do you have on the ice? It comes down to that, the talent and the character of the person that works with you. That's what it comes down to.
0: Well, and the players that you have on the ice too. Yeah. Um. We love you, and we uh, thank you very much for your time. You're always generous. You're always a lot yeah. of fun. And um, uh, well,
2: you guys are great too, and you've been great to me. And uh, anytime, I, I love uh, you know. Is this a two hour program?
0: Or? Well, no, well, was, well,
2: you're, you're not getting, getting an hour.
1: you're not getting paid by the word here, Dale. That's for sure.
2: Well, my friend Mahav was here yesterday. Mahav was here getting me to sign a bunch of stuff for Team Canada. Well, that's said, right.
1: Fiftieth anniversary, huh? Yeah, coming up, right? Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. That's, September, huh? Yeah. So God, the, the th- that, that. The, the three of us can remember it is, um, is a little scary. I can tell you that.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you look terrific. I'll tell you that Shannon, on the other hand,
0: he looks no. Like he's, he's, yeah, he, you looks know, like, he looks like he's just about on his way out.
2: Yeah.
1: I, for some reason now I, I was <laughs> 10 years younger than Macau and now I'm 10 years older. I don't understand it
2: remember wow. when the, we were broadcasting the Dallas when uh, when North Stars got the New Jerseys. and Oh. Remember that story? Oh. You called me and said, you guys... Oh, I know. Classic. So, no, tell what,
1: no, they, I'm saving it because, you know, it might, it might be in a book one day.
2: All
1: right. <laughs> I will tell you a quick, I will tell you one quick story. Quick though, we got to go. <laughs> is, is Pat and Dale were doing a show at our building, the Met Center, And Dale was ripping the broadcast booth, and Dale was ripping the North Stars, and Dale was ripping the sweaters. And I'm in the TV mobile, and the owner of the North Stars phones and says, why are our announcers ripping our team? And, and about five calls later, he phoned back. He says, I'm sorry. I was listening to the Chicago broadcasters and it was <laughs> Pat and Dale.
2: <laughs> they were ugly. Those uniforms.
1: Oh, well, that's when he wanted to change the name to the, the Minnesota stars.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. We well, got to go.
2: All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Dale. The Hit them straight, Stay, Dale. Hit them straight.
0: Stay well, yeah. All right, and, you too. Uh, play well. Dale Talon, our guest. We'll come back and wrap it after these messages. Uh, we are back. Our thanks, of course, to Dale Talon for uh, uh, joining us. Always fun. <laughs> he
1: he's, he he always puts a smile on my face. He ha- and he you know I've known Dale since he played, you know I and uh, and watched him play his first game in the NHL for the Vancouver Canucks. So I've always enjoyed Dale, and what da- doesn't come across for so many like Dale is a brilliant hockey man, a brilliant hockey man.
0: Well, I'd really like to know the story at some point about. Um, how you get fired in Chicago and then in Florida when you do nothing but take two sad sack teams and turn them around and get them to the verge of being a champion. And one of them became a champion three times and the other one might just be.
1: I, I can't, I don't know about the Florida scenario, but I can tell you right now, the personality between Dale Talon and the then president, John McDonough of the Blackhawks was oil and water.
0: Well, obviously, um, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quickly before we go, perhaps before uh, we uh, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned um, the Leafs. If yeah. they advance, will now play the the winner Washington or Florida,
1: right? Because and because the, there's always an assumption that oh, we got to go through Boston. Well, Boston because Boston was a wild card team this year, Bob. Boston has effectively moved to the Metro Division. So Boston, who's, they're playing game seven on Saturday night as well against Carolina. If they win, Boston will actually uh, play uh, on the other side of the ledger. They won't play. They'll play the, the winner of Pittsburgh and the Rangers.
0: Carolina so, will do the same?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Ka- Carol, Carolina and the Bruins, the winner there plays the winner of, I got of Penguins and, and, and Rangers. You got that? We, we really
0: have to fix this playoff thing. Well, we really have to fix this. This is beyond stupid. Uh, I'm going to have a whiteboard on Monday to explain it. How's that? It better, <laughs> it better be a big whiteboard. Uh, y'all have yourselves a swell weekend. Uh, if the crick don't rise, we'll see you on Monday. For John Shannon, Bob McCowan. Goodbye, everybody.